and welcome to this podcast brought to you by Just, the UK's first enforcement market integrator, and Aram, which has been helping organisations to prevent and resolve problem debt for over 25 years, with me, your host, Steve Coppard. It's time to grab a cuppa as we give credit where credit's due to our expert guests. For this episode, I visited Lex Jones and Chris Dick at the Registry Trust. The Registry Trust was established to maintain the official statutory register of judgments, orders and fines for England and Wales on behalf of the Ministry of Justice. And it maintains similar registers for Scotland, Northern Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, Isle of Man and Jersey by agreement with the relevant authorities there. Through campaigning by the Registry Trust... I became aware of an issue relating to a lack of claimant data in England and Wales. That is, the name of the person or organisation that took out the county court judgement against the indebted person or business, their name does not have to appear on the CCJ. So the database is incomplete, leading to difficulty in paying down CCJs, added stress and a high volume of unnecessary calls to both the courts and the registry trust itself. That campaign has led to a commitment by the Ministry of Justice to run a public consultation on this matter, which in government terms is the first step in ensuring that it would be right to make that change. So a huge win for the registry trusts. Let's dive straight into the interview and find out more about Lex and Chris's expertise in this area. So, Lex, Chris. Hi, Steve. Thanks very much for having us on your podcast. We're excited to be here. I'm Lex Jones. I'm the CEO of Registry Trust, and I have been here, my goodness me, just over six years now. Hi, Steve. And yeah, I'm Chris Christick, Director of Operations here at Registry Trust, and I have slightly less tenure, so I've been with the organisation just over a couple of years. The history then of, of Registry Trust, if you like, goes all the way back to the 1800s. I haven't been there that long, just the six years. The register was originally set up with the idea of promoting commerce and trade, and at the time it was set up by the Lord Chancellor. Office. And the idea was that they would create a public register of judgments, so people who weren't able to pay their debt. And that would be a consequence for people not being able to pay their debt. And again, they're just being used to promote responsible, reliable, trustworthy lending practices. However, you fast forward 100 odd years, get through to the 1980s, and at the time, Chancellor's Office still running that public register. The public register was paper-based, very resource-heavy. You can imagine it, can't you, really, in the, in the 1980s. And the government just, they couldn't make it pay. And at that point, the proposals came, why don't we shelve the register? However, of course, by then you also had businesses like credit reference agencies who'd pretty much set up an entire business system, an entire business model based on the existence of a public register, accessible, reliable, trustworthy data. So instead of shelving it altogether, a group of individuals came together and came up with a solution which was, well, ultimately became Registry Trust. But the idea at the time was a non-profit organisation that would be set up. It would run the register under contract to the Ministry of Justice and it would provide the information both to the general public so all of us here, but also to any lenders, underwriters, people involved in due diligence. Fast forward all the way through to present day, and here we are. Register is probably a little bit different to what you saw in, in the 1800s. Uh, no quill pens. It's all online. Hallelujah. We've got a significant amount of sense checking and quality control that goes on. Try and make sure that everything is accurate, up to date, perfect as you can make it. And of course, over time, as it's evolved, we've seen that public register grow. So it's become a key part of the data infrastructure. So lending decisions are the obvious one, but actually any kind of due diligence profession also uses registry trust data at some point within their decision tree. 
So Lex, I guess I saw a fair bit recently around the issue of claimant data. And I know we had a quick chat about it mm. because I was sat there scratching my head a bit and thinking, what is that? What does it actually mean? And so maybe you could explain a little bit around that issue. Yeah, sure. So when we, uh, I mean, I'll let Chris talk about the, the specific issue, but what we mean by claimant data is simply the name of the individual or the business who's going to take out a county court judgment against you. So a county court judgment tends to get taken out where you're attempting to perceive someone for a debt and for whatever reason they are either not engaging in the process or they are not able to pay those funds back. The creditor, normally a lender, but again, could be almost anyone, including you or I, that person will then pursue the individual through the courts and ultimately they can end up with a county court judgment against them. Chris, did you want to talk through maybe what the issue is a little bit? Yeah, of course. So, so yeah, county court judgment, CCJs for short, will be perhaps familiar terms for people, very familiar and, and historically an important part of lending decisions. And 99% of the information around a county court judgment or CCJ will find its way onto the public register. Uh, and those details are public. It's a key part of the justice system that they are uh, public, unless they're blocked by the judge for any reason. Uh, so any individual or interested party looking for a CCJ can find that judgment via the register. And that register is published via our website, Trust Online. But crucially, they won't have all of the the information there. So they will get most of the information, they'll get the date, the status, the amount of the judgment that's been taken out, their own details will be on there, but the company or the individual that they owe the money to won't be accessible to them at that point. And so a key campaign that we've been running is to make the provision of claimant data more publicly available so that people can see that at the first time of asking. And the reality for people today is that they have to kind of go around the houses to find that information. So the interested parties trying to identify the claimant in the case, they might be contacting the company that they've tried to take a piece of credit out with. They might be going to, uh, directly to the credit reference agency to identify the claimant from their credit report. They might be calling us. Ultimately, they need to be directed back to the court who currently hold that information. And in a court system that's currently under a significant amount of pressure, that's not an easy and quick thing for people to get hold of. So there's also a timeliness issue there. And as Lex has touched on, the nature of county court judgments has changed significantly over time. So not seeing the types of claimants that are taking out judgments also impacts the ability for us to get good analysis on the type and the demographic of, of CCJ data. So it's also impacting the credit industry and making really good decisions around debt and judgment data and, and when they're looking at facilitating lending for people. I have to wonder, and I think about me and my own circumstances and think, well, if I check my credit record next month and somebody had registered a default against me and I couldn't see who it was, I'd be going up the wall. So how, how, does, how, does, this, how does this actually come to exist? Effectively, it's a historic problem based on the fact that when the regulations that, that created kind of how the register was going to work were created, nobody really had a sense of, of what it was possible to do with data and what it is possible to do with information. You can't open a newspaper or the, the internet now without seeing someone waxing lyrical about the possibilities of data, me included, to be fair. But I, I think at the time, you know, when they were coming up with these regulations, there was just no concept that either this analysis was possible or desirable or that it might in any way, shape or form be needed. So the regulations that, that kind of govern us, the most recent set are date from 2005. So an appreciable period of time ago, they are the uh, Register of Judgments, Orders and Fines Regulations 2005. So it, it trips off the tongue. But in those regulations, they stipulate every single piece of the information that needs to get sent through to us but not the name of the claimant. And it's just an omission. It is literally human oversight that has just meant that crucial part of the data set isn't included. And crucially, I would also say the jurisdiction of England and Wales is the only jurisdiction that doesn't include that data. All the others do. 
numerically, they are far fewer. So you don't see the same sort of size and impact there that you, that you would do with England and Wales. But if we could get England and Wales climate data published, it would make a significant difference. So, Chris, you touched on a little bit about who this, this problem impacts. Maybe you could just expand on that a little bit. Yeah, definitely, Steve. And it's worth noting that really it impacts everybody involved in the process in some way. Quite often with a, a judgment that can be undefended and be a default judgment. So we might find circumstances where somebody has had a judgment raised against them. And in the period of moving house, they've not realised they've got that judgment. So quite often we'll get people call us because they've just found they've got an issue on their credit report. It's impacting quite a major and timely decision for them. It might be moving house or getting a credit decision, as we mentioned earlier. And the first they've heard is that refusal of credit. And so they are clearly impacted because they immediately need to know who do I owe the money to so I can satisfy this judgment and move on with the transaction. So very much a, an issue for them. From a claimant perspective, it's unhelpful because it delays the repayment of that debt. If somebody can identify the claimant in a timely manner, they can pay them and settle the debt that much more quickly. Or dispute it if there's a dispute to be raised. It certainly impacts service providers. A significant number of the calls that we get are around claimant data information and so it impacts our ability to give great service and again if we think about the court system and, and the pressure they're already under post-pandemic the ability for them to get quickly to those queries and handle them is difficult and this only adds to their service pressure and as I mentioned before from a wider perspective it really does impact the overall debt landscape in terms of understanding the nature and type of debt across the UK and be able to provide more timely and, and relevant analysis on that data. I mean, the only extra group actually thinking about it that I would add to that, and it's, it's not a group we, we tend to think about terribly often, ironically, within this space, but it's actually the debt advice providers themselves, because more often than not, they will also have to phone the court and potentially sit on hold or wait for a response in order for them to provide advice to the individual who has sat with them. And when you think about the intense pressure on the debt advice sector at the moment, certainly in terms of resource timing plus increased demand, you know, it's just, it's so hideously unfair, isn't it? This information is public information. It ought to be readily available so that the debt advice sector can do what it is they are attempting to do, which is to provide advice to people in extraordinarily difficult circumstances. Thinking about it from that sort of perspective, then, is there any sort of like real life case stories that you can just to bring it to life a little bit? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, um, well, I won't name names because they may not thank me for that. Um, But we do. I mean, we have gosh, lists of examples, really, of of people where people or businesses have been negatively impacted because they haven't been able to access climate data in good time without going to the courts. There's a particularly recent one, actually, that that stands out in my head. And it it relates to, it was a business and relates to to their trade credit lines. So that business, they had a judgment showing against them, but of course, they didn't know who they were meant to pay back because we don't have claimant data. They contacted us and we said, look, you're going to have to phone the courts. And we gave them the right number. Unfortunately, the individual they spoke to at the court redirected them back to us in error. Okay, it's a mistake mistakes happen but of course if they've been able to get claimant data straight off from us then that mistake wouldn't have happened either however you know we, we'd straightened out that little mistake and sent them back to the courts for the second time but of course by then they are then running dangerously close to the deadline by which you either need to you can get a judgment removed if you pay it in full and you know that's only really 30 days technically it's a calendar month I tend to say 30 days, although we are cognizant that, of course, February is a shorter month and we also go through all the way through to 31 days. But so we redirected this firm back to the court to see if they could find out who it was they needed to pay. As it then turns out, this judgment, once they worked out who it was, the judgment should, in fact, have been cancelled, not satisfied. And so it should have been cancelled and removed from the register already. But the delays in not having claimant data readily available meant that the original judgment was, in fact, published and showing for a week before we were able to have it removed. That then had significant impact on their supply chain. It threatened credit agreements that were already in place. 
It was only, in fact, the previously completely reliable reputation of the business that meant their creditors remained engaged and interested whilst they were able to navigate the difficulties thrown up by basically an over-automated system. We were also helpful there. We were able to provide them with letters from us to say, actually, we're conscious that this is going through and this has happened. So, you know, for what it's worth, we were able to provide some assistance there. But again, if we'd just been able to have claimant data from the off, they'd have been able to register that very quickly, work out that actually this judgment should have been cancelled and be in touch with the courts that much sooner to get the matter resolved. That really resonates with a previous podcast we did with Andy Hignett from mm. Johnson's Tiles. Yep. And in a company where you haven't got millions of customers and you've got a credit controller sitting there, they're quite often looking at business credit reports and making individual assessments. So I can see absolutely exactly have a huge impact. Exactly. Mm. I mean, from an individual perspective as well, because I, I do understand trade credit might not be something that, that most people have experience of. But from an individual perspective, we got contacted about five months ago by an individual who was just incredibly, outrageously stressed because they'd just been told by their mortgage lender that their offer was about to be withdrawn. Timing-wise, think about five months ago as well and what was going on with the economy and base rates and mortgage rate being pulled every five minutes, it felt like. And every time a new one came out, it was substantially higher. Once you've got a rate agreed, you really want to hang on to that. You don't want it disappearing off, particularly if it's something that you think is unfair, unjust, undeserved. So you can imagine significant levels of stress. It didn't get off to a great start because unfortunately where there isn't claimant data available, they thought registry trust had taken out a judgment against them. But once we got over that little hurdle and we were clear that actually no, um, it was it was a different organisation, because we still weren't able to tell them who had taken out the judgment against them, they still needed to contact the relevant court. Unfortunately, the court we had to direct them off to was one of the easily one of the busiest centres in the UK. And so getting through to them is is even more challenging perhaps than, than some other courts. It took more than two days for that individual to make successful contact with the court and to get the answer that they needed. But during that time, their mortgage lender kept saying, you're going to lose the mortgage, you're going to lose the rate. Only once they were able to understand what the judgment was for, to make the payment for the amount and get confirmation of that payment from the source of the judgment, were they then able to use that to prove to their mortgage lender that in fact they were a reputable credit risk. It was an error. It was some time ago. It related to this. And, you know, everything is now fully satisfied and on the register and, and marked kind of clearly on the register. If they'd had access to claimant data, then they wouldn't have had, in their words, the week from hell. They'd been able to pay the initial lender immediately, resulting in a much smoother, much less stressful process. It's been a while since I've, I've gone through any kind of housing related saga like that. I don't remember moving house or packing up, you know, trying to find property as remotely being stress free. Adding that sort of thing into the mix with kind of invisible consequences for you and you don't know who to talk to, how to address it, how to rectify the issue, that would just send my stress levels off the chart. So I feel dreadful for that individual and they will not be the only one. For those of us working within the industry, I think it's easy to forget sometimes that we understand the way the process works and we know that it's actually quite simple when you take the right steps. But for somebody who's never come up against that before, when they've got a million and one other things going on, I, I can only imagine how difficult that must be to deal with. Exactly. So, so very frustrating. I mean, the other example that we have when we typically talk about the, the benefits of, of claimant data or how it might get used, we talk about regulators quite a lot and actually the benefits to regulators of being able to access claimant data. So at the moment, if you imagine you're a regulator in any sphere you care to mention, doesn't have to be financial, although typically that's where our heads go, isn't it? But you have to demonstrate value to, to the government, to the general public in terms of, you know, the, the funding 
thing that you have and, and why you exist and that you're actually fulfilling your, your statutory obligations. You've got to fulfill your remit of ensuring that your firms show appropriate duty of care that for the public, you know, whether you call it know your customer, consumer duty, anything else doesn't matter. You've still got a, a duty and a responsibility there. So you've seen an article online that says there are increasing CCJ levels and you're concerned that that might be driven by inappropriate practices at firms you regulate. So you think, well, I should start to investigate then, shouldn't I? I should have a look and see who's doing what here. So you can ask the firms involved, but one, they can tell you that they outsource their debt collection practices, which they may well do. And, you know, they're absolutely entitled to do so. But even if they didn't, you would still need to show a level of due diligence by checking that information. You can't just take someone's word for it for obvious reasons. You can attempt to get the information from the courts directly, but actually for a large number of judgments at an aggregate level, you're not going to be able to obtain that information from individual courts. That simply won't work. So the courts might then say, well, you should contact this lovely company, Registry Trust. They'll be brilliant and really able to help you. And we will be brilliant, except we will not be able to help you because we don't have claimant data. So you're sat there as a regulator with duties, responsibilities, expectations, and yet the same sort of governmental system that you work alongside will not support you in providing the data you need in order to fulfill your remit. That for me is a shocker. The phrase I saw when I was doing a little bit of research about registry trusts was that your CCJ data is, is like the canary in the coal mine. <laughs> and thinking about it from that side of things, I'd, I'd thought about it more in terms of the links between, uh, again, from, from your data, the links between CCJs and insolvencies. Mm. But actually thinking about it like from the, from the regulator point of view, then that could actually be a trigger for a, a thematic review, for example. Absolutely. It's either the chance for a thematic review or the chance to establish, have you got outliers in a particular industry? So it's, it's not happened for the moment, but there has been a lot of discussion around the regulation of the buy now, pay later sector. And that would be a particularly interesting one for me. And certainly when we posted things online about that, gosh, there were a huge number of comments and debate engendered as a result. And it came down to people saying, it's all buy now, pay later. And other people saying, well, actually, no, I'm not sure it is. And I think irrespective of what opinion you hold on that, I don't want for people to have an opinion which will be driven by their own personal experiences. I want them to be able to access facts that tell them that it is either, yes, definitely this sector, definitely not this sector, or it's a particular firm operating within this sector that is wildly out of step with all of its peers and therefore needs some attention from the regulator involved. And I've chosen buy now, pay later sector simply because it's it's in the press a lot at the moment. It, it may form part of, of, of party manifestos going forward. So who knows on that? But it could be any number of different sectors that would be similarly impacted. Where you have data on insolvency voting and you can see that within the same organisation, the decision is taken very differently on very similar cases. But of course, that data isn't transparent. Yeah. And I think I always come at it from the point of view that all data is good. Yeah. Even if what you know about that data is that it's wrong, then it tells you what to do and what not to do with the data. Exactly. The thing we keep coming back to is better data just means better decision making. Having more information will enable you to make more sensible, more sustainable decisions. We talk about this from a, a policy perspective as much as anything else. If you had climate data, you'd be able to fully understand the consequences of policy or economic decisions made 10 years ago, five years ago, and so on and so forth. At the moment, the absence of that data means that at best, you are making sensible, educated guesses. If we th if think again about the impacted 
individual with with a judgment or or a business. You know, there's so many benefits that Lex has talked about there. But the you know, if we think about the the impact on the on the individual who's trying to resolve the issue, we talk a lot in terms of debt management around how do we make more preventative steps earlier on to avoid people getting into a difficult situation in the first place. We know that debt will be embarrassing for people, something they don't want to talk about. People aren't often proactive enough in taking control and, and trying to do something and, and take timely action. And that really doesn't stop at the point at which a judgment's been issued. So if, if we think about that support for the individual or the business from end to end, our obligation to help people to make informed, timely, proactive decisions is just as important it's not a judgment and you're gone. You know, the judgment's there and people can still do things about it. So we campaign strongly on get satisfaction. You know, a judgment that is satisfied is is a significantly better outcome than having a um, a judgment that just sits there. So it's about people seeing the data, understanding the actions they need to take and taking action. Um, so when we're not doing the service and justice to the people who can take action on their debts if we don't provide this information. And as I say, just as it's important to get people to pull their head out out the sand as they start to get into debt the same applies even once the judgment's been made they can they can take recovery action that will make a significant difference to them the provision of this data can only help them to do that it would be very easy for me to sit here and assume what some of the solutions could be just get the data right but i'm i'm not an expert in this and i i suspect if it were that easy you would have already done it so um what chris next what do you think the solutions are how how do we make this better you've looked at the solution steve i don't, that was a very expert eye i think um, <laughs> i think in many ways it is as, as simple a principle as that we we just need to get get the data from a registry trust perspective we are an impartial organisation we talk about public data for the public good and we understand the benefit of judgments as part of the overall fabric of lending so we know the benefit of judgments to to that process just as much as we want to be able to provide data and support to those people impacted by judgments um, so we can sit at the heart of that and see the benefit from from all sides we know it's a piece of secondary legislation to get that change affected um, but that doesn't feel insurmountable it's been about you know raising our voice but we'll, we'll come on to progress but it's about getting that momentum and getting that support to make the change and once that change is made, it's just really about the technical changes required then to allow the data to flow through. So, you know, we would need to work with, with the courts, with the Ministry of Justice to be able to add that into their data feeds into us, which are daily. Uh, and that would enable us to absorb the data and start to publish that information. Clearly, then there's implications as we go downstream into our bulk data users to make sure that they're set up to absorb and use the data. But um, But yeah secondary legislation let's get that change agreed and then it's just the technical requirements to start to pull that data through and start to make a difference so is it, is it worth just saying for the benefit of the listeners that secondary legislation can be changed overnight at a stroke of a pen by a well-informed secretary of state yeah so the, the issue is more about getting on the priority list getting enough people shouting about it and uh, and getting that support to move it forward absolutely i think it's probably to say as uh, fair to say as well there steve you know you said a, a well-informed secretary of state we have now been informed by the minister of Justice, they will be looking to run a consultation on this subject. Ideally from October, we'll see. It depends how quickly they can get that consultation ready. As in when we have an actual date, of course, we'll be publicising that with our stakeholders as, as much as possible to make sure that people are able to, to give voice and, and to say you know what they think is appropriate. But we're really excited to have this level of engagement from the Ministry of Justice on this. It feels like you know there's definitive recognition of the benefits of having this claimant data. And actually, it's more or just a case of okay how can we get this done now so that feels really really positive and like a really great level of forward momentum so now we're just keen to make sure we capitalize on that 
that's fantastic news. I, I know how difficult it is to actually raise something up the priority ladder when there's so many other things going on. And a lot of hard work um, from Lex and uh, and the organisation to you know to get to that point, raising awareness, banging on doors, you know, getting into meetings with MPs and events, uh, Westminster Hall debate. You know, there's been a lot that's mm. gone into getting to that point now. So yeah. it's it's been. I think that the, the difference from our side has been around real targeted focus on demonstrable outcomes. It's easy to want to wave a flag on issues, but I think having a focus and a, and a campaign that's been targeted to get us to this point is a huge amount of effort and, yeah, really hopeful with where the next few months will go. Absolutely. I think what is very pleasing has been recognition from all MPs, irrespective of their political uh, leanings, if you like, that actually this is important and there are values uh, and there are benefits to be had for everyone in this. You know, it, it, it's not a it's, it's not something that matters depending on your, your politics. It's something that just matters irrespective of your politics. And I think that's amazing. I feel like I, I may have been a little bit usurped here now by the Ministry of Justice because I was going to ask, how do we achieve what it is that you were going to be trying to achieve? How do we achieve your solutions? It feels like you've taken a really important first step, but no doubt now you need people to pitch in for the consultation as well. Absolutely. I mean, I think a big public plea for, for people to respond to the consultation when it does go live and, and just, you know, continued pressure and, and support out there. We have been talking about this, as, as Chris says, really for, for quite a long time. And it's great that we're achieving some traction, but change of this type doesn't happen you know, just, just because you, you cross your fingers and hope. It takes a huge amount of work and effort behind the scenes. We've been very, very lucky to be supported by key stakeholders in this, and, and we're just asking them to continue to do so. And of course, Steve, I'm going to say quick plug, if I can. I feel like a professional radio show host now, <laughs> but a, a quick plug to everyone who's listening. You know, if you think that actually better data means better decisions, if you want to see an under-resourced court service given more time back to, to deal with things that they can be dealing with, opposed to you know repeated queries on claimant data then you know please make sure you respond to the public consultation speak to your mps write in you know whatever it is you think will make a difference please make sure you do that i guess as well there's benefits for everybody else who uses the court system yeah, yeah. i think yeah. when we did some analysis on this a little while ago we worked out that as a minimum we were getting 200 queries a week for people seeking to obtain claimant data. So what that means is, you know, as a minimum, the court service is dealing with 200 queries fewer a week. So actually, when we think about backlog, resources, still dealing with the, with the outcome and effect of, of COVID, gosh, what, what a difference that might make to, to both the efficiency of the courts, but also the, the cost profile of the court if they can divert resource somewhere else. Internally, we know that there are 76% of the users of our website, the Trust Online site that Chris referred to earlier, they're all looking for claimant data and we can't give it to them. But my goodness me, you know, one-stop shop is not a new concept, is it? You've got 99% of that judgment data. Let's get the rest of it on there. It just makes it a smoother, easier process for people at a time when they are under enormous and considerable stress. They, just giving the information in one go is, is a much better idea. More broadly, our support for, for, for the MOJ and HMCTS to try and just make information more accessible for people, just to try and remove the hurdles that people go through. So claimant data is the sort of poster child for that. But, but you know, anything that stops those phone calls, stops those repeat calls, that sort of right first time approach to try and ensure that we get good 
good data first time that's available to people. And so, yeah, there's a number of things we've done over the last couple of years to try and improve that just because if it just, as you say, if it reduces response times and it frees them up to be dealing with other critical activity, that's that's just a, a win all round. And yeah, I love the, the Bob Geldof Live Aid moment there to, <laughs> to, to plea for the support because it is like doing this podcast. It's uh, active support that will be the key from this point, I think, and people sort of putting their money where the mouth is. Not quite in that context, but um, <laughs> but supporting the campaign to get us over the line. Yeah. Is there a counter-argument to it? Do you see any resistance to it? Actually, I'm, I'm really pleased you've asked about the counter-argument, because I was quite nervous about that when we first went into it, going, You're, you know, we're going to have all these very vocal stakeholders saying, no, this is a disaster, you've just not thought about it. And it's just... It's fundamentally not the case at all. I've yet to meet with anyone, any group, any stakeholder interest group, any commercial firm, any individual who is anti the idea. There has been feedback from people saying, well, how would that work? You know, and, and talking about different concerns there or, or different models that you could use. But actually, no one yet to say, oh, we would see this issue or that issue as a result. I think it is helpful as well, of course, that all the other UK jurisdictions do provide claimant data. So we already know that actually the world will continue to turn even with the provision of claimant data. I think as well the fact, of course, that everybody would be treated the same. So it wouldn't be a case of providing claimant data for that industry or, or for judgments under this amount. It would be a, a blanket and therefore uniform and therefore equal treatment of everyone. But yeah, no, uh, no concerns raised at all which is I, I think probably a first in the world of you know attempting to achieve any change there's normally some group that isn't interested or is, is is anti it and we've just not experienced that here at all and there's responsibility in the way that that data's used you know we've we've, we've, we've talked about the individual provision of, of claimant data so that sort of direct individual a uh, you know owes company B, the aggregation of, of claimant data needs to be handled in a different way in the way that that's used. So I think nervousness, uh, for any nervousness moves away with good, responsible mm. actions around provision of direct claimant data and then any aggregated data that's used by regulators to ensure you know good practices. Yeah. And on that note, I, sh I should probably say, you know, Registry Trust have run the Public Register of Judgments, Orders and Fines since the 1980s. So at the risk of sounding hubristic, we're good with this. We know what we're doing. You know, we handle all the other information related to the judgments day in, day out. We send it securely. We receive it securely. We look after it carefully, as you would expect from custodians of public data. It's not going to cost the Ministry of Justice any money. In fact, it's going to save them money. Uh, and it's going to enable us to provide a much more smooth and streamlined service to everyone who has to use our service. Lex Jones, Chris Dick, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the podcast and I hope you found it as insightful as I did. If you want to hear more great content from Aram and Just, then please subscribe on whichever platform you use to get your podcasts or follow us on LinkedIn so that we can let you know when the next one is out. Until then, if you'd like to discuss any of the issues that were raised in this podcast, then please get in touch with me either on LinkedIn or drop me an email to stephen.coppard at aram.co.uk. Once again, my thanks to Lex Jones and Chris Dick and the Registry Trust for investing the time to talk to us and it's goodbye for now.